Coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for another episode of Tech Talk with your host, Joey Klein. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech Talk. Um, I like to think that all of our episodes are great, but this one is with a really special company. Um, This is, I think, the biggest company in Atlanta that has sort of come out of nowhere, seemingly to just make a huge impact. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have the co-founder and chief operating officer of Snapners, Jeff Richards, with us today. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great, Joey. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And, and uh, thanks for letting me reschedule two or three times just because of my busy schedule. Appreciate that. That's okay. We're here now. Better late than never. Exactly. So... You know, Snap, Snap Nurse has gotten a lot of accolades um, in the past couple of years about its growth, its impact, and your your space loosely, you know, healthcare with a capital H is an often watched one. Um, and I think the technology that you're providing is has been really, um, really important over the past couple of years. And I think let's just start with kind of a broad view for anyone who has not heard of Snap Nurse. Elevator pitch, what does Snap Nurse do? And then we're going to get into the nitty gritty of your technology and your journey as an entrepreneur. Sure. So Snap Nurse is a tech-enabled healthcare staffing platform. Like you said, founded here in Atlanta by my partner and I, and Shree Kloss is our CEO. And she was the original founder and, and reached out to me in, in 2017. And the idea was to create a marketplace where both clinicians, primarily nurses, and facilities could both find each other and have an easy onboarding. Essentially, nurses could rapidly onboard, see what jobs were available in the area. Facilities could log in, see the quality of the talent on the platform, and book them either for short-term or long-term contracts. And so we spent you know, two years from 2017 to late 2019 building that software platform. And, and I should mention, too, that very early on in our history after raising seed capital, we very fortunately connected with Edwin Marcial, who was the original CTO, founding CTO of the Intercontinental Exchange here in Atlanta. So the story of SnapNurse is a little bit of the story of Atlanta because it was the connection of two healthcare providers with a world-class you know, chief technology officer who had retired from the Intercontinental Exchange after they bought the New York Stock Exchange and was looking to help startups here in Atlanta. So that combination of world-class technology, right, a, a team of developers that built the fastest trading platform in the world, electronic trading platform, basically helped us design and build this technology platform to match healthcare staff with facilities. Okay, so we're you, 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 you've jumped ahead. We are definitely going to talk about Atlanta. I want to put a pin in that, but, but Atlanta is what I feel is a, it was sort of an important um, character in the background, almost the Greek chorus, if you will, of, of a lot of these conversations. Let's talk about that technology for a second. So we gave an overview of what the technology does. Why was it necessary for those uninitiated and how hospitals and nurses generally connect What's the old way of doing things and why is, um, why is that an issue? So I spent the majority of the 19 years of my career at Grady Hospital. And, and the last 10 years, I became the chief anesthetist and then the department director of anesthesia. 
So I went from being a clinician to an administrator and I was constantly, there were times when I needed supplemental staff as well. And I had recruiters or, you know, account managers from staffing agencies reaching out to me. They would, I would ask if they could provide me with candidates and they would fax me resumes. Now, even in 2017, I was getting blurry, hard, hard to read faxes of resumes. I would explain that I was at a level one trauma center and that it was a very high acuity. And then I would get submission of candidates who'd been working in a GI facility for the last two years. The, the ability for me as the subject matter expert and knowing what I needed as a healthcare administrator was not there for me to easily look into a large talent pool and say, these are the four candidates I want, and then send messages to them. Like you would, a little bit of an analogy would be, you know, the, the oversimplification is something like an Uber or Lyft. You, you have an urgent need, you go on your phone, you send out a request, it's matching a driver who isn't skilled with you, and then they, they come and you know, pick you up. We wanted to build a platform that was curated for both sides of the healthcare you know, world, which is essentially a facility that needs a pretty substantial amount of, of software to ensure that they're matching their request to the acuity of the provider, and then a provider who can submit their information and, and get that matched up. That's why it was necessary. Even today, that you're emailing documents back and forth between facilities and providers, or even some of them still faxing. And you see other technology-enabled uh, companies coming into this space because the need has, has been there, right? Some of them, you know, like Nomad or CareRev, they've been around even longer than we have, which if anything, just, yes, you see that you have competition, but it also validates that there's a consensus in the marketplace that there's a huge need for this. Okay, so you as a practitioner yourself have an issue in your day-to-day -day life getting talent. You recognize there's a problem. How, how does that turn from a complaint, a pain point, into actually, you know, you're jumping into an entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, Shri reached out to me. Uh, we went to school together. So both of us went to Emory University School of Medicine Anesthesia System Program, and in the late 90s, and then went in different directions for 19 years. I happened to have gone back in 2016 to get an MBA with thinking that I was going to go on to become a, you know, a chief operating officer, a CEO of a hospital. And in my entrepreneurship class, I wrote a paper about a mobile healthcare staffing app because I had been experimenting with different apps in my department. One at the time was an app called Crew that allowed me to send out notifications to my text to ensure that they got equipment to the, to the various anesthesia rooms throughout the hospital and already saw the capacity of efficiency and just a smarter way of doing things inside the hospital. So when I looked at staffing, which is the Achilles heel of any administrator, anybody listening right now, and of course, who works in healthcare and would be extremely aware. And of course, you ripped from the headlines. Even this morning, as I drove in, there was a segment on NPR 15 minutes ago talking about the inability to get nurses into Pennsylvania and, and onboard them through the state, which is another component of this, is the ease of licensure across states. So it, it's a well-known pain point that there's not, healthcare is focused on the technology to provide amazing cures, you know, whether that's in cancer or in surgical procedures, not on the nuts and bolts of how you staff a hospital. And so it was begging for a solution like this. When I 
wrote the paper, I had that in mind. What I couldn't have known is that a month after I wrote it, Sri reached out to me after 19 years and said, hey, would you you know, consider helping me out with my healthcare startup? And she plops it down and says, it's called Snap Nurse. It's a tech-enabled platform for booking nurses. And I said, I, I, I was not going to become an entrepreneur, but I already know this is a brilliant idea. Joined her right then, ended up becoming the first investor. And that's just started the journey of a lot of firsts, raising seed capital for the first time, hiring a whole new team of people, finding developers, and um, you know, getting into a marketplace and, and ensuring that we had success. Well, let's okay. So, so let's talk about that attitude, right? You know, some entrepreneurs just have a risk-averse attitude where it's throw caution to the wind. Some are pushed into it by circumstances. Some, like yourself, just an idea comes along that you can't ignore. So, you you preface this saying, "I was not planning on becoming an entrepreneur." So. Is your general demeanor, uh, your emotional and mental, um, uh, you know, resting state, is it one of someone who is a little bit less risk averse? And so you had to maybe counter that on this journey, or you think there were already a lot of things in yourself that were well, um, well placed to do this. It was just about finding the right idea. That's a good question. I, I, I think, you know, sometimes, you know, America is all about reinventing yourself in many ways. But what I, I don't know if it's so much a reinvention is there was a side of my life that is risk-taking. It was more my personal life because I did a ton of um, bike racing and triathlons and competed, you know, at a very high amateur level, traveled all over the country and, and uh, even outside the country racing where I was taking a ton of risk. Of course, where, you know, you have crashes, injuries. But that was my personal life and was sort of contained over here in my professional life. Yes, it was, you know, working in a large level one trauma hospital, but trauma by nature is wild and chaotic. And I wouldn't have thought at the time that managing trauma in a department with the, it's unpredictable all the time. Yeah. Things are freezing along normally, then a gunshot wound comes in. In the middle of the day, you're in the middle, you have staff who are doing a, a, a basically a lap coli, and then suddenly I've got a, pull a different team and put them into a gunshot wound, which was also one of the challenges with staffing is I needed people that were that nimble and flexible and had a broad array of skill. And I wouldn't have known at the time that that was as well suited to be an entrepreneur. Now that I'm down this journey and look back on it, though all, all of those ingredients were there. I just thought that was a level of risk professionally that I wouldn't be willing to take until the idea was so incredibly right for its time. And I just was sure of that, that I became the first investor. And then yes, a series of decisions, each of which are challenging emotionally that you step away from your secure job and take risks like that to ask your own friends and family to give them money, give their money to you to yeah. invest in an idea. And then feeling the, the excitement that they believe so much in the idea and in you that they'd actually put their own money into it and then they have their trust in you and then you know you can't fail. Well, well I think that's an interesting point, right? Um, someone from the outside might look in and say, okay, you have a trained physician, hospital administrator, stable salary, you know, stable job, right? Jumps into entrepreneurship. That is a huge shift. And while there's some degree of truth to that, the actual nature of what you're dealing with in your job is extreme uncertainty. 
um, right. in every way, shape and form. And so I think that that it's that, that that's a, I think that's a good point bringing that up. You can't just make an assumption about someone based upon their salary. You know, you kind of have to look at, all right, what's their day-to-day? What are they comfortable dealing with? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, one, one thing that strikes me about your technology, and I think this can be, it can be a challenge for some entrepreneurs. I think your technology can apply to multiple different industries, right? Obviously, based upon the name of your company, you're very focused on healthcare. But there are folks that have tried and are working on technology like this for retail workers, for logistics and warehouse workers. Um, I don't really think there's been a clear winner yet, anyone who's perfected it. Is there a pull for you to use this technology for other industries, or are you hyper-focused on healthcare and that's it? Well, great question. We are currently focused on healthcare to to get ourselves to a place where our our goal at the moment, we have about 5,500 nurses in the field and we want to get to 20,000. And and some of the rationale for that is obviously we've gotten to a place of significant success that's built on the software, a, a whole host of other things, client acquisition, nurse acquisition, and building a bigger and bigger marketplace and get that marketplace so big that then we have a bigger base to stand on to then reach out. But we are already thinking like what you just described, that one of the other industries that took off, especially during the pandemic, was trucking. And part of it is because everybody stayed home. The demand for truckers exploded. Everybody's, you know, that's somewhat changing with returning to work. But trucking is still in an incredible supply-demand balance, much like nursing is. And, and it has been for years before this. And had this just so similar story. It was already in a shortage, and now it's it's a crazy shortage. And the things that we do, so for nurses, it's you know work where you want, when you want, get paid at the end of the shift. That whole value proposition, the ease of onboarding, getting matched, and then taking a job, whether it's multiple weeks or a single day, and getting paid instantly, is perfectly suited to trucking as well. And that would be probably the next likely industry for us to go into, um, as well as some of the others. It could be light industrial, construction, you know, where you just basically, you've got a significant imbalance of supply and demand. And if you have rapid onboarding, you're going to be way ahead of the legacy companies that move slowly to attract talent and then match up with their clients. It's, it's, it's such a huge challenge with all of those. I, I, I definitely see, um, you know, of course, I'm, I'm, in, I'm inserting myself into your boardroom. I see multiple business lines in the future because it's just, it would be a shame to let this technology only be used for healthcare. It is so clearly applicable to so many other staffing issues. Yeah, we we are in agreement. It's really a timing thing and and ensuring that we've put a really, really solid foundation in healthcare. Of course, we have already with the success we've had, but but taking it to that next level of 20,000 nurses is where we want to be. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so look, obviously it's 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 important for um, you know early of course, I call you early stage, right? And I guess they, based upon years you've been in business, you could say that you're, you're really, you've, I think you've blown past that in terms of your success rate. But let's just say, I recognize it is necessary for early stage companies to really have a path and stay in it. So you have those goals. And then once you reach them, you can blossom into other industries from there. It's true. It's, it's, uh, and we, we get told that all the time. And you're right. We did win the fastest growing business in Atlanta 
and um, Shri got recognized as the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year. All that happened in the last uh, ten months. So it's a it's a it's a crazy story because we blew past so many milestones so fast that it's almost like we didn't have time to go from you know early stage to you know we're a big company now. We have almost 450 internal employees here in Atlanta. Well, they're scattered around the country because of the nature of remote hiring during the last 18 months, but we have a significant footprint here in Atlanta with these offices here in Colony Square. And then, you know, we had in 2020, we had about 15,000 nurses on the platform, and now we have over 300,000 and had maybe 50 working on any given day at, in, you know, February of 2020, and now we have 5,500. Yeah. It's just a transformational uh, scaling and it just occurred in a very short period of time. Well, well, let's let's okay. So, so let's talk about nursing and let's talk about shortages and burnout. Okay, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get to the C word. Okay, the the, the COVID um, that has <laughs> dominated our lives in the past two years because yes. it's, it's been a really big part of your story. Um, I'm I'm not so much interested. Look, I think that everyone who's listening to this is you know can connect the dots enough to understand why your service is valuable during COVID when increased healthcare staffing and nurses are needed, okay? I don't think we need necessarily go into that. What I want to get into is, so we've been overburdening our healthcare system for 24 months. We have been asking more of our healthcare providers and our nurses for 24 months. Um, understandably so, uh, just like retail workers, just like teachers, a lot of them are burnt out and we already had shortages issues to begin with. So what... What is the sound the alarm bells, if, if, if you will, please? What does the general public need to understand about what's going on with the nursing community um, and, and, and what we should be expecting on the horizon? Because, I mean, it, it seems a little bit scary to me, honestly. It is. We're in a, in a very challenging period. The nurses are burned out and frustrated, and, and many of them are talking about quitting. And so, you know, a company like ours is definitely putting the nurses first, but we always have to think of the client at the same time, right? We have, it's a marketplace for both sides. The clients need the nurses. The nurses, if anything, they, they can have more control at the moment, right? And, th and that may only, that control may only be that they can work in chunks of time and take breaks. Whereas, you know, by using a company like ours where they can take an assignment for four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks, and they might work 50 or 60 hours a week during that time and then take a break, which those breaks are critical to their mental health and, and preventing burnout. And so one, one of the other things we're doing besides providing that platform that gives them the control and the flexibility, that's one of the key things that they want, um, is creating a new program where we're reaching out to facilities to upskill nurses. So it's, there's a shortage, but there's a severe shortage of specialty skilled nurses, like in the ICU and the ED, step down, NICU, even L&D. So there are the largest pool of nurses are essentially med surge nurses. And many facilities haven't had the bandwidth at this time to offer training programs. So we're partnering with facilities to upskill nurses and basically get them to training programs. This is, early stage beta, but yeah. we're looking at the future. We're not looking at, you know, the marketplace now It's severe shortage supply and demand. Just being in the interchange of that is not part of the solution. It's, it's part of it, but the bigger part of the solution is collectively as an industry and as a country, we've got to educate more nurses, upskill nurses immediately. That's something we can do quickly. 
and putting that in place now to provide that a larger number of the specialty skilled nurses. And then essentially, we're going to have to partner with you know, governments and educational institutions to educate more nurses. We probably need a million nurses right now. And so, you know, four years from now, when they're done with school, we might need 1.5 million. So there needs to be, you know, state and a, probably a federal initiative that says this is a giant priority. And until then, we're all at risk because you're not going to have the number of nurses on staff and facilities that you need. And, it, and there may be some facilities that are and some that aren't. We all just need to be mindful of that. Are, 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 what, what are you, you personally spending most of your time on these days? Is, are those initiatives something that you're involved in? Is, you know, what, what, what obviously, look, as, someone in, as, as a co-founder, you've got a lot on your plate, but walk me through somewhat of a normal day. Yeah, so we still, you know, are pretty deep into operations on managing and, and you know, growing from 5,500 to get to 10,000 to 15,000. And so the day-to-day is certainly a significant amount of time is spent on that. The other is we are definitely, um, I'm spending some of my time on that upskilling program to get it stood up and then looking to three, six, nine, 12 months down the road, how to scale that. And so that's, that's well underway. And then they're early, but in a couple of weeks, we'll have some announcements about some, uh, a couple strategic, super exciting partnerships that will open the door to new lines of business. It's, it's building on what we're doing, but they're partnerships that can open doors that we can't open the way we can now. And uh, yeah. in probably a week or less, there'll be a big announcement about that, which will be super exciting. Okay. Well, that's great. We will link to that as well. Um, so you're, you're solving a very, um, very specific healthcare issue. Okay. Anyone who reads the paper regularly, you know, sees what percentage of healthcare spending is as relation to GDP. Um, they see healthcare costs rising. Um, they see issues with burnout of nurses um, and issues with, you know, doctors in their, you know, their own medical fields. If you could, you're obviously working on something really important. Okay, let's say that time and money were no. Uh, no issue whatsoever. If you could solve one other healthcare problem that you think would make the biggest difference to helping the lives of both practitioners as well as patients, what would it be? Well, I kind of touched on the first one, which is, you know, to do, it would, it would be uh, the heaviest lift of all. So I'll do the heaviest one. I'll just kind of repeat it, but I'll probably put it in more stark terms. There'd have to be some kind of federal funding because they don't pay the nurse educators enough money. And so they get pulled away because they want to do travel because you can make more money. So there aren't enough schools. There aren't enough nurse educators who they don't pay them enough. So you'd have to cobble together the federal and state coordination to fund the education of those nurses. Until we do that, we aren't going to solve this problem. It's just going to be nurses moving around. That's one. A faster, shorter lift is to, and this is the story that was on the news this morning in Pennsylvania. Many states have a compact license, and that means that you can apply for one license then work in 30-something states, but there's still around 12 to 15 states that haven't done that yet, and then you have to apply. When you get in there, it turns out there's one or two bureaucrats working in the Office of Licensing, and they, because of the pandemic, they're working remotely, they're, they're inaccessible, it can take weeks so we've had deployments where we needed to put 
500 nurses into a state and then we run into a brick wall because we can't get a license. So the thing that needs to happen, and I think it's just, it's fiefdoms that have within states that are saying, well, we want to collect this $150 licensing fee. We have to figure out how to ensure that they collect the tax, whatever you want to call it, to get that license, but essentially remove that, have a national license. Let's get nationalized standards for credentialing and licensure and create a frictionless movement of healthcare workers across state lines. That's right. I mean, look, I can, there are certain professions which I understand the need for different state licenses, uh, an attorney, a real estate professional, right? Even there, there's reciprocation, but you know, there's, there's different laws by state. Okay. That makes a little bit of sense, at least an application process. Is being a trauma nurse in Georgia really different from being a trauma nurse in Massachusetts? The skill set would seem to be the same to me. Well, the thing is that you still have to have trauma skills and certifications and, you know, that's acuity. That's not licensure. So that's, that's, that kind of vetting is always there. The license, you don't get licensed as a trauma nurse. You just license as a nurse, the capacity to practice. It's probably closer to the, you know, it's a little bit of a stretch, but the taxi medallions in New York versus Uber, where, you know, they, those they, there was a long line to get those medallions. And of course, Uber came in and, and crushed that. And, and some of that is a broken system that then got disrupted. But this isn't quite to that level, but it's literally just a barrier to entry. You take a national exam as a nurse and that's accepted. But then you have to many of the states, not all, because a lot of them are compact, but you can move across state lines, they still don't allow that. And some of those states have huge population like New York, where there's still, you can't get in there. And then there's no, there's too few people working in the licensing office and it's a ridiculous bottleneck in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Another. Yeah. That just seems like sort of a, a leftover bureaucracy that is uh, ripe for disruption. Yes. Okay. Let, let's talk about um, co-founders and that relationship. I'm always interested in the yin and yang of co-founders. You know, it's, I feel like, you know, if you, if you read an entrepreneurship book, if you listen to, you know, podcasts with venture capitalists, you know, typically they talk about, it's great for two co-founders, if you're going to have two co-founders, to have different sets of skills so that you can complement where the other might be, be deficient. And I'm curious how that works with you and Cherie, if there are certain areas where you yin and yang, or if, you know, you're really, you're both just extremely aligned um, with similar skill sets. Um, I think definitely personality-wise, we're two very different people, but then, you know, there's a, a huge alignment about the way we see the industry and understand the problem. We both understood the problem, obviously, at the same time, in the same way, because we had the same idea independent of each other. Yeah. But Cherie is one of those people who just, you know, an entrepreneur through and through that wasn't how I identified myself, but she has always been that person just charging forward with an idea. Um, and that is absolutely necessary. Obviously it's the, the, that just driving energy that starts something. Then for myself, I think my forte is just remaining calm no matter what is happening. And that, you know, maybe it was training. Maybe I was already matched for that with trauma. It doesn't phase me to see things in a chaotic state. And, and, you know, starting a business, founding a business, scaling a business is all about navigating chaos and not reacting. And so to have one person who's, you know, visionary, creative, hard charging, and the other person who's 
extremely calm no matter what is happening. And believe me, there have been highs and lows in this business many, many times in, in, in both regards. You can't overreact to the highs or, or overreact to the lows. So I think that's part of it. Some of it's unquantifiable. There's clearly some sort of special chemistry in our partnership that is part of the story of Snappers as well. But I do think that those two things are ways in which we balance each other out. And together, we've brought more to the table than we might have otherwise done alone. I think what, what I call that is the ability, at least with your, your reference to your generally calm demeanor. Um, I call that existing in the, the emotional middle. And yeah. I think that it is something that is, it's something that I probably preach more than I practice, but it's something that I strive to. I think it's something, again, whether you are a entrepreneur, whether you're in a corporate setting, it can relate to being a spouse, being a parent. I think it's something that we should all strive for, right? You, you can celebrate highs. Don't let them cloud your vision too much. You can be upset about lows. Don't let them get you too down. Existing in that emotional middle, I think, is a place that if you can really perfect it, um, it's extremely, I think it's extremely effective for your own nature. And I also think it's contagious. Um, it rubs off on other people. And I think being a leader, people look to you to set the tone and a calm leader in both good and bad times is a very, very important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, I had some sense of that before when we came here and did this when, all the other noise of the people around me in the, at other corporate setting when I was working in the hospital, it, it became more apparent. And the highs and lows were more extreme when you're starting something from nothing. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, you're, you're right. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's end and talk about Atlanta. Um, as I said, Atlanta, I feel is kind of the backdrop to every story that we tell on the show. Lots of different types of technology providers. Um, Atlanta is the part of the engine behind them. So, so talk to me about why Atlanta has been such an important part of Snappers. Yeah, well, certainly we're founded here. You know, the fact that um, the healthcare community here, so for the first two years, of course, Shree and I had worked here and knew this healthcare community. It's a very small world here, right? So we knew so many of the people. We know all the hospitals. We know so many providers. And there's a very robust healthcare community here. I mean, Grady itself uh, is, is its own national, if not international, story of a, of a public health teaching hospital that was on the brink of bankruptcy. You know, I had some familiarity with, with highs and lows when Grady nearly ran out of money in 2008. And then Pete Carell came in with the, you know, the Woodruff Foundation and then merged the Grady board with the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce and changed that institution and then afterwards, we went through like a rebirth, which for me was also a, an enormous professional education. Something almost crashed on the, on the brink of crashing was saved. They brought in Mike Young, the CEO, who turned it around, definitely did a tremendous number of financial things to course correct that institution. And then John Halpert, who's still there today, has just emphasized quality as well as proper billing and putting in all these institutional structures in place to ensure that it rose to a higher level uh, overall. But that story of Grady, which is part of my story, is part of the story of Atlanta because the healthcare community needed that anchor point. And Pete Carell saw that, 
merge the two boards and, and, and transform that hospital. And, you know, coming out of that, you know, I was going through MBA school and, and wrote that paper. And then we had the perfect marketplace here. We had all these hospitals. We onboarded all these clinicians. And Atlanta, in a way, was our beta. That was the beta for two years of let's build the technology. Let's make sure that we understand. Let's listen to the clinicians. Of course, we as clinicians know, but, you know, things change. And we need to hear everything they have to say about how the UI should work and, and the functionality. Is it important to get paid daily? It is. It's very important. They wanted that. So we had to build that out. That was not a small thing to build. Um, and then as well as the facilities, we created particular demo environments for some of our hospitals here in Atlanta and partnered with them closely. So in many ways, some of the hospitals in Atlanta helped us build SNAP nurse as we listened to them and through the beta. And then you're right, the C word, as, as the pandemic hit, suddenly everything changed. And the needs, we had had orders for nurses of one or two. You know, or, or five or, you know, four nurses for, for 12 weeks, but never an order for 50, which then turned to 100, which later turned into 3,000. And so orders came in that were unfathomable before, and we couldn't have known at the time that what we built would withstand that, right? That there, uh, there's plenty of other healthcare staffing companies, but they none of them grew 40,000%. And so we had an infrastructure and a technology platform that when pointed at orders like that, we could ingest 3,000 nurses in a day and then onboard 300 of them and do that over a period of 10 days and get 3,000 nurses in the field. Now, operationally, yes, that was enormously stressful and challenging. Um, but in many ways, Atlanta allowed us. It was the right place. It was like the whole city was our incubator. Um, to grow the platform, create the marketplace, prove the concept, and get a really robust platform. And then, yes, a 100-year historic event occurred, and we scaled in a way that was unimaginable. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. Um, and the, just the, whatever you want to call it, fate, divine intervention, you know, any other number of words, just you having the idea, Sheree, coming to you at the right time, um, it's it's a great story. I, I think that you guys are the one part of a generation of the next great uh, Atlanta technology companies. I'm just thrilled to see how well you're doing. It's a really really great story. Awesome. Well, thanks, Joey, and and uh, it's been a pleasure to be on here. And and I'd love to come back and again, and we'll see if I get to twenty thousand nurses. I can tell you the story of how we did it. Yeah, look forward to that. Anyone who is listening who wants to learn more about Snap Nurse, how do they do it? Of course, you can go to our website, www.snapnurse.com. Um, you can certainly look up the, uh, the Pace Setter Award. So the Atlanta Business Chronicle recognized us last year in the April 2021 as the fastest growing company in Atlanta. And there's uh, some videos and stories about that. The website's probably easiest because we've captured stories on there from Pace Setter and those, those awards, as well as the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And um, there's a bunch of press on there where Lester Holt, did an interview of our nurses back in May of 2021 and, and referred to SNAP nurses operation SNAP nurse as if we are like a giant humanitarian relief organization. Yeah, um, so Lester, even Lester Holt has given his blessing to uh, what we're up to. What else do you need? Uh, all right. Well, Jeff, thanks a lot for sharing the story. Talk to you in a bit. All right. Thanks, Joey.